You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 148 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast where Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Ramping Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Please welcome Ash from the Pretentious Book Club podcast. <laughs> Hi, guys. Pretentious Book Club. Mm-hmm. That means you guys are really smart, right? Uh, you know, the idea was to give that impression, but it's also definitely facetious. Uh, we are we pretty <laughs> much just fangirl or trash books or gush over books. And we both have degrees in writing in English, and we, you wouldn't know. <laughs> you wouldn't know. <laughs> we could be pretentious about it. We choose to go pretty much the opposite direction. Right? Yeah. Do you guys do modern classics or just classics? Oh, we do moderns as well. We do every other week. We do like a classic one week, and then the next week we do something contemporary. Um, it's actually shocking. We haven't done a Marissa Meyer yet because we're both big fans of Marissa Meyer. Um, <laughs> Have you done the Terza Price retellings yet? Because they're no. really good. No, we haven't. So she did retellings of Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, and they are super good. Oh, we love our Jane Austen. That's We start every new season with a Jane Austen, so that sounds fabulous. Yeah, I would recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. They are really, really good. I was um, very happy with them. I thought for sure I was going to be disappointed, but I was not. The first one is called, I think listeners are probably tired of me bragging about these books, but oh well. <laughs> the first one is called... Pride and premeditation, premeditation. <gasps> yes, um, I've heard of this. Somebody recommended this to us, and it's on my list. So good. The second one is called Sense and Second Degree Murder. The third one, which comes out next year, is called Manslaughter Park. Oh my god, they are amazing. I absolutely adore them. So oh yeah, my god, highly so recommend. Well, those are moving to the very top of my list. Also, the author is like super nice and approachable. So. If you can get her on an up, ep- you might be able to get her on an episode if you like email her. I don't know. Um, that would be amazing. Okay, literally adding it to my list right now. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved those books, and I'm not even like a murder mystery person. They were just really well done. Yeah, I didn't used to be. Lately, I've been getting into it more and more, which I feel like is me just becoming a little bit more of an adult. Um, which I is know. weird. I just like thought I'd only always be into only young adult fiction and it is still my primary but (laughs) I'm I'm like that too though I just I love young adult but then every once in a while I'll read like a women's fiction and I'm like this is so good yeah it's like oh my god there's a world outside of YA I mean there's almost nothing that you can't get in YA that you want but every now and then just dipping a toe in the pool of adult fiction is I I think I've yet to regret it so (laughs) I will say I have done nothing but like like Space Odyssey or 
like women's fiction. So I haven't done a lot of like murder mystery or horror or anything like that. Like I have done, basically I've read women's fiction, like Chicklet uh-huh. and Hitchhiker's Guide. Hell yeah. I think my adult fiction is mostly murder mysteries and thrillers. I think that's pretty much been, I like, and like true crime, what's well, like true crime. It's supposed to feel like true crime, but it's fiction. So it's, not really true crime. Uh, those have been right. because apparently I'm just like you know what adults are stressed out all the time, so I should read a book that's going to stress me out as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I only pick the stressful books. I do feel like seen and heard though, because because with young adult, as much as I love young adult, it's always like teenagers saving the world, and I'm like, man, I'm like 32 and I can't get my life together. I know it's like, wait, am I past the prime for when I could save the world? We were talking about this on right? that Potential Book Club. We were like, you know what would be great? I want a book about like a 45 year old woman developing like latent superpowers because where is that? Why is yes. it? If the cutoff is 16, then I'm way past the I don't cutoff. remember who it was, but I was talking to somebody. It might have been my past co star. Um, wow, co star. Co. Uh, <laughs> Co-host. No, own okay, it. Calm down. Is <laughs> own it. But we were talking about it and I was like, wouldn't it be great if it was someone who was like 66 and they just retired and they were like bored at home and had nothing going on and they were like knitting or something and realized they had powers and like now they're like, I can do so much with this. Like I... I'm here for that story. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like they have the retirees have the free time. Like I don't have the yes. free time to save the world. Teenagers have to worry about like getting to Spanish on time. I swear every no. YA book where it features school, they always have to get to Spanish class. Like that is always the class that they are late to or the class that they have an exam in. I don't know why it's like that. And that is so funny because we almost all forget Spanish. <laughs> Just always running late. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So the first thing I want to ask you is what is your journey with Marissa Meyer? How did you find her books? And maybe do you have a favorite book? Um, okay. So my journey, I feel like is not going to be as impressive as a lot of your listeners. Cause this is like Marissa Meyer fan stuff. And I do love her. I think she's amazing. And I I'm obsessed with this series. Like I am obsessed with it, but it's been a while because of that pretentious book club. Since we read a whole book a week, I have not had time to go back and read the books that I like to read. In fact, this was Aww. me reading winter for the first time. So it's been delightful. Um, but I think I probably picked it up, picked up, um, Cinder pretty shortly after it came out. And I thought this is the most amazing thing ever. And I'm an idiot and didn't even realize it was a Cinderella retelling, which it's, I mean, it's openly a Cinderella retelling. It wasn't a secret. I don't know how I didn't catch on. I was just like, this is amazing. And I love science fiction. And so it was like fantasy and science fiction and Cinderella is probably my favorite princess. So I fell in love with Cinder and I thought it doesn't get better than this. And then I kept reading and Scarlet, I think, is my favorite book. And she's my favorite character. Aww. I feel like I relate to her the most. Um, so it's just amazing. I am just so impressed with Marissa Meyer. Every single time I see anything about the series, I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot that she's a goddess. And I forgot that these books are everything. <laughs> so it's so 
nice to get like an actual like justifiable excuse to be like, well, I have to buy the whole series because I've lost some of my books over time. I have to buy it all again because it's for a podcast. So it's like, what else am I going to do? I've been given no other options. Exactly. I have. I'm being forced to really. So it's been a delightful excuse. And I've been so enjoying winter, although it's also, of course, really stressful because it's the conclusion. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much my Marissa Meyer journey. Oh, I love it. Okay, so let's talk about what you're currently reading. Okay, let's see. Um, It's always something on that pretentious book club. Uh, We did The Importance of Being Earnest last week by Oscar Wilde, which is a classic. But it doesn't read like a classic. It's like the most frivolous, hysterical comedy. If you guys have never read Oscar Wilde, highly or just or go see see a play because sometimes we do plays and this one was a play. So it's also a really quick read. It's just hysterical. He is like the definition of supercilious and sophisticated. He has that kind of balance between being a sophisticated writer, or he had, I guess, yes, um, between like being a sophisticated writer and telling a sophisticated story while also having this like exuberance of humor in there that exactly. makes no sense. But it's exactly. somehow he manages to balance it. Yeah, it's insane. We were we were saying last episode about that. We were like, it's crazy because you read these lines and they just seem like complete and utter nonsense. But then you think twice and you're like, wait, is that actually really deep? And you legitimately can't tell. And I think he did it that way on purpose. So that's what we just read. And now I just now we've been going through a lot of middle grade this season. So we just read Midnight for Charlie Bone. And I forget the author right now. But it's a middle grade fantasy. And it's really good, too. And I guess this is just the season of middle grade. Um, because... <laughs> Love I feel like all grade. season we've pretty much been doing middle grade. <laughs> so I'm currently reading. Well, okay. So we do episodes every two weeks. So I feel obligated to say like all of the books that I read up until this episode. And yeah. I want to remind everybody that I absolutely fully endorse audiobooks and I love them. And I do Heck listen yeah. at like 2.5. So do I. Don't be like, how did Bethany read all these books? It's simply audiobooks, and I'm working on a crochet project. So, like, oh, perfect. What a perfect combination. Right? And then, like, I have to, like, yeah. I, my thing about audiobooks is I feel like it allows me to absorb stories at a much higher rate because I can do it, like, while I'm cooking or cleaning or folding laundry or working out or crocheting or going to the grocery store or whatever. Like, and so I, absorb stories in that way more than anything else so right now I just finished Tiger Queen by Annie Sullivan it was really good Uh, it's a retelling of the short story The Lady and the Tiger I also just read Hungry Ghost by Victoria Ying which is a graphic novel it's really good these are all really good you guys (laughs) I felt like I needed a comfort read so I reread Rumpelstiltskin by Kay and Shay which is so much fun. I, I highly recommend K.M. Shea and her fairy tale retellings. They're middle grade, but they are so much fun. And I think they're like the perfect comfort read and uh, um, like no commitment. You know what I mean? Like they're a quick, yeah. easy read. You're not going to be super stressed out when you're reading it, but you are going to feel like comforted. And like you're enjoying the story, you know? Yeah. That's um, what's so nice about middle grade. Middle grade is like the yes. ultimate comfort genre. <laughs> right. There's, you're not like, oh my God, who's going to die? Cause that's not going <laughs> to happen. 
You know, no, you know everything's <laughs> gonna be okay in the end. You get a good adventure, right? but you absolutely know everyone is gonna be like okay and home and cozy and warm and everything's exactly. good. And you get to end. look forward to that whenever you start to stress out. I think. Yes, exactly. Um, so I also just finished Zyla and Kai by Christina Forrest, which I swear was amazing. Uh, it, it's this really cool way of st- telling a story where it starts out with this like tragedy. Uh, but nobody understands how or why it happened. And then the rest of the book is told in a series of like present day and flashbacks that reveal how we got to said tragedy. So it's it's really quite beautiful. Ooh, I love and that. I read that because I'm going to be on an episode of YA Book Chat with Leah. And we are going to discuss that. So if you want to hear me talk about it endlessly, go listen to that. <laughs> I also have a couple ARC copies that I got from NetGalley. One is called Light Lark by Alex faster it's very intelligent what we were just talking about with like young adult books and then being 16 and they're responsible for the entire world I do feel like because that is such a huge trope in the YA uh, readership we sort of take for granted someone who can do it in a new and unique way yeah and I think that's what Alex Astor did in Light Lark. So it comes out August 23rd. So before this episode does. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's the first in a series. And it's it's quite good. And if you like audiobooks, highly recommend. The audiobook for that one was really great. So that's what I read this last week. What am I currently reading? Currently I am reading Long Story Short by Serena Kyler, Kaler, which just came out in July. It's, it's quite fun. Actually, it's about like a young introvert girl who has to like, her parents are like, if you want to go to college in another country, then you need to prove to us that you can like actually handle talking to people and socializing and being a real teenager. And she's like, I am a real teenager. And they're like, but you're not. Oh, God, it sounds like my life. (laughs) They make her go to this acting camp over the summer to try and force her, like, out of her shell. It really Um, is my life. That's hysterical. My my parents stuck me in theater in high school for the exact Did they really? Yeah. Yeah. You would probably love this book. (laughs) Oh, that sounds Um, amazing. I'm still in the middle of it, but, yeah, it was so much fun to read. And the level of, like, honest interpretation of what it's like to actually have anxiety and social awkwardness was like, I felt so seen and so (laughs) heard. And there's so many moments where she's like, how did I get myself into this situation? And I'm like, girl, I have been there. I was there two days ago. I'm sure I'll be there in a week. Like I, it'll be okay. (laughs) That is so good. So those are all of the things that I've read or am currently reading. Let's talk about some fun fan art Friday. So listeners know that I like to find fan art and then wait for the perfect chapter to share it in. (laughs) So that's what this first one is. And according to Instagram, I have had it for 71 weeks. Wow. This is the good chapter for it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it is from Doodle Link. No, Dude Link. D-O-O-D-L-I-N-K on Instagram. It is Lavana and Kai. Kai being forced to, um, I believe the phrase my husband uses is shut up and color while Lavana <laughs> looks, uh, <laughs> while Lavana like proceeds over the wedding. Um, I love that it's like sepia. I love that you can see Lavana's like 
perfectly manicured, clearly <laughs> plastic face with the like hollow cheeks mm-hmm. and the um, high cheekbones that are just too, they're quite, they're too perfect to, to be natural. Um, and I love that mm-hmm. you see Kai in the background, just like gorgeous and handsome, but also like very, very, sad. very much <laughs> like trying to be like, I'm not scared. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, her eyes are so striking. They're like mesmerizing, which is, I mean, perfect for her thing. And I like her little, I like that she's got this like completely like perfectly manicured look, like you said, but her hair is just a little bit wild, which I feel like is kind mm-hmm. of symbolic of like her in, inner like craziness. <laughs> so I, I she's so well represented and his like, kind of like just concerned face, just sitting there kind of stoic and sad in the background. It's just like, yeah poor dude it's exactly what it's what he's feeling like I love it, it and I love like the the looking through the window pane and like it's got the cool like little banner on the wall with earth and the planets behind it I think it looks yeah cool. I thought that was really cool yeah it's a great detail yeah fantastic job so the next one is by M-E-Y-G-I on DeviantArt so the reason I decided to share this is because we have a mention of peony um, and I didn't get to share a lot of fan art when we were covering the chapters with Peony because I was just still a new podcast. There weren't a lot of people who were like, yeah, sure, you can share my work. Um, <laughs> I have a little bit more credibility now. So I do have a few like older fan arts that, you know, they don't really necessarily go with the chapters we're reading, but I'm trying to find a reason to share them. So this I thought might be appropriate because we do talk about Peony and her loss in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so this scene is when I think it's chapter five of Cinder chapter four. I'll insert whatever accurate number that is. <laughs> Maybe it's like six or seven, but yeah. I love it. It's Peony in her beautiful ball gown tying a ribbon to Aiko's arm in her original eggshell body. Mm-hmm. Cinder looking greasy and adorable on the ground with her like box of wrenches. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful scene. It is. It is a beautiful scene. I like, um, I love Cinder's vibe in this. I'm like a huge uh-huh. sucker for like the female mechanic vibe. It reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever watched Firefly, but I am obsessed with Firefly. Yes. Yes, yeah. and it's like she has Cinder has really strong Kaylee vibes, and I love them both yes. for the same reason. Although Cinder's like a oh, little more it. like tough attitude, badass, and Kaylee's a little bit more mm-hmm. like a shiny sweetheart. But I just love the vibe, and I love the juxtaposition between like the two styles between Peony and Cinder here, and they're just like, but they're both so pure. <laughs> it's so much. I love like all the details in it. Like we see like there's literal oil spills on the floor. Mm-hmm. There's shelves of like broken equipment that needs to be fixed she's got boxes everywhere Um, and you can see like this sort of glow around peony yeah Um, almost like the light is shining only on her and I think part of that is and maybe it is only shining on her I don't know she's standing (laughs) up and cinders on the floor but I think part of what's great about that is that's kind of how cinder always saw her as this like bright shining light like the one happiness that she had in the world and I feel like that's very uh, fitting for for this chapter where we have to reopen that barely healed wound yeah yeah no I I think absolutely it was (laughs) this chapter was crushing because of that I think this picture definitely makes us miss peony 
So you can find both of those artworks on the Prince Kai Fan Pod Instagram and on the Prince Kai Fan Pod website. And remember, if you have fan art that you would like to share, you can send it to princekaifanpod at gmail.com. Last time, Patreon members got to vote for chapter titles. Chapter 47 is Speak Now by Taylor Swift. And chapter 48 is At Last I See the Light from Tangled, my favorite movie ever. (laughs) Oh, I like it. Those are good. I definitely thought about Speak Now, too. For that oh, chapter. my gosh, right? Like, like right in the middle of the wedding, I was like, yes, yeah. this is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about Chapter 49 first. Last week, we left off with Cinder being tossed into the dungeons with Audrey and Pearl, which I mentioned a lot how much I love the fact Levana has act- like uh-huh. actual dungeons. And I'm still waiting for fan art on that. If anybody has the time and the creativity, I would appreciate it. We also saw Levana tap into her inner um, mobster and send a finger to Kai. It was so mafia. And and then we saw Kai brazened and full of confidence stab her with the scissors as she rightfully deserved. I was so happy. Oh my God. I'm so proud. This week... This first chapter is really simple, you guys. Cinder's in the dungeon. Peony's mentioned, oh right? Pearl and Audrey, they are the worst. Oh, my God. They're, every time you think they can't get worse, they do. Every single time. Yeah. It's, ugh, it's, I also, I love the fact that, like, it mentions that they've been sitting in there for 24 hours and no one has said anything. <laughs> I'm like, really? Nothing? Uh, nope. That's so good. So they're sitting in the dungeons. Cinder is like so determined to not sit still and just wait for her fate that she's like literally carving into the walls. Even though she knows mm-hmm. it's like not going to accomplish anything. She's just like, no, at least they'll know that I tried. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be doing the same thing. I relate to that. Yeah. I'd be like, better to be trying, better to go down trying than to just accept. Yes, let them know I at least put in the effort, even if yeah. I didn't, didn't do it. And this is where I relate to her. She's like, got what ifs playing in repeat on her head. Like, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? What if I had done this? And I'm like, yes, been there. Yeah. Been there so many times. Oh, Yeah. The equivalent to thinking of the best comeback two days later. Oh my gosh, my life, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's frightening how relatable a lot of Cinder's feelings in this scene are. Like I've never been thrown in a dungeon with an evil stepmother and stepsister. No, but like we can but... sort of relate. And how does Marissa do that? <laughs> yes, it's crazy. It's like she's like this insanely talented writer or something. Oh my gosh, right? It's almost like she's a bestseller with all these awards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So finally, after 24 hours of being in this horrible dungeon with nothing for company but her horrible stepmother, stepsister, and a poop bucket, love those, (laughs) finally, Pearl says something, and she says, why did they call you princess? Here's what's weird to me. They haven't spoken for 24 hours, but Pearl speaks as if they're still mid-conversation, like as if... As if Amory literally just dropped her off. 
Yeah. So I don't know if that's a plot device. Like, if Marissa's like, no, she has to have been in there for 24 hours, like, suffering. But she also has to have this conversation, so here's my solution. Yeah. Or if it's like, we're supposed to believe that Pearl and Audrey are in such shock that they've been, like, fixated on this one thing for the last day, but they haven't found the courage to, like, use words. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that Pearl is a particularly brave person, so I guess maybe it could take her 24 hours to sum up the courage to ask that question. I can't imagine that. I can't really relate to that. I'd be like, just ask the damn question. But, um, I mean, she's not exactly – these are not brave people. These are very cowardly people. Right. So I kind of like the idea – of Pearl and Audrey sitting in a corner, just like, you ask her. No, you ask her. She's your stepdaughter. <laughs> She's your stepsister. I'm not going to ask her. She terrifies me. Well, I'm not going to ask her. You're the one that took her foot. Like, I love yeah. the idea of the two of them, like, sitting in the corner trying to figure out who has to, like, ask oh Cinder. And for some reason, it's Pearl. Yeah, I love that too. I also think they're so egocentric that I think that they just, I think uh-huh. they kind of just don't really think about, like, princess celine or like the politics going on anywhere but around them even that stuff i don't think they really pay attention to unless it immediately directly affects them so i feel like this is also kind of pearl's moment of being like hang on is it important for me to know who she is wait a minute is that something i should be curious about yeah is that something i should have been keeping up with um yes it it was (laughs) yeah and and i love that like she says it and pearl's like "Uh, yeah right but audrey is like my husband knew yeah. Yep. I feel like, like if she thought about it for like maybe five seconds, she would, she could have guessed like even somewhere in the very back of her mind, been like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. That but tracks. It didn't too hard. Yeah. That tracks. I feel like she just didn't. Yeah. Think too hard and it, it does. Right. Like later on, she says like, oh, that's why Lavana wants to kill you because she's, she wants to be queen. Yeah. And Cinder is like, give the girl a treat. She figured it out. She's so yeah. smart. Yes, these people are just uh, so behind the game. Like, they're so behind. Yes. I love that, though. I love when she's like, give the girl a treat. I thought that was so funny and such a good, like, subtle clap back. Yeah, it was so snarky. Uh, I enjoyed it. I feel like a, a Scarlet's also very snarky. So for a second, it reminded me of Scarlet. And I was like, I'm just. I like to think her. she's, like, channeling her inner Scarlet. She's like, Scarlet wouldn't put up with this. Yes, it's good. I also love how just like deadpan she is when she's like, I'm Princess Celine. I'm like, yes, you freaking are. Yes. Awesome. Yes. The audiobook that Rebecca Solaire does is amazing too, because especially with like the give the girl a treat line, like it's very monotone. Like, God, I can't believe I'm having this conversation right now. Like, <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I also love her reading I, Winter's voice. She's so good. <laughs> she does an amazing <laughs> job with all these voices. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. I particularly love that for, like, one second, Cinder also considers channeling her inner crest and putting C plus C equals heart That would be the, the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> I think it would be so adorable. Like, I do think it's out of character, so I understand why she didn't. But mm-hmm. I like to think that, like, Cress's romantic um, instances, like, Cress's romantic yeah. influence has been sort of sort of weighing on her. It's sort of adapting her to, like, what it might be like if, if, if happiness was such a thing. 
Yeah, well, she's got a little, <laughs> bit Charlotte, a little bit of crest now. Like, these people have all had, like, a yeah. really big effect on each other. And they're all deeply traumatized people individually. So they're all kind of healing together all at the same time. And I feel like they're just kind of absorbing different bits of each other's personalities. And I love it so much. It's so wonderful. What's but that saying that crest. you're, like, you're, like, you're the five people you spend the most amount of time with? Oh, that's funny. That's so true. Have you heard, heard that, that saying? No, but that is 100% true. <laughs> I'm going to Google it now. See what exactly the saying is. Yeah. Oh, you're, you, oh, okay. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. So it's, it's attributing that, like, because you spend so much time with them, you absorb their mannerisms and they absorb your mannerisms again yeah absolutely I think that's super super true I also will just like straight like steal catchphrases from my friends Kendall my (laughs) co-host especially I actually don't even notice that I have catchphrases like until I edit an episode and I'm like man I say hard pass a lot that's funny I go Um, that's so funny a lot that's that's my line and then Kendall just has a myriad of wonderful catchphrases that she switches up every now and then (laughs) <laughs> I'm a little behind because I'll like adopt one of hers that I really like and then she'll she'll get a new one because she's way more like hip with the kids than me like she knows the slang so it's always changing for her I'm always well, behind. Like, like Drew and Cassie from Of Slippers and Spindles they man they make me feel so dumb they <laughs> have a very sophisticated way of speaking to one another they're both very well knowledgeable and very well spoken and I feel like every time I listen to them I get just a little bit smarter <laughs> and they they have Definitely this one the thing they say when they're like annoyed where they say like if I had a nickel for every uh, time this happened I'd only have two nickels but it's weird that it happened twice and I'm like constantly looking for like a reason to use to that use in that. an everyday sentence oh like, that's hysterical oh, that's brilliant <laughs> That's funny. I think one of our best catchphrases is whenever a super attractive villain enters the scene and we just go, oh, no, he's hot. So that's about how intellectual we are. (laughs) That's probably one of our most well-known catchphrases. One of mine we see here, it's That's My Girl from Fifth Harmony. I love that song. (laughs) But like anytime somebody claps back, I hear that song in my head. And so that's 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 pretty... That's featured pretty often on the podcast. <laughs> I um, love it. But that's what happens here. Now, I do have some issues. Um, Audrey does what she does best. She blames Cinder for everything that's ever gone wrong in her life, mm-hmm. including Peony. And Cinder is a wonderful person. And she takes the high road and she just ignores them. She's like, yeah, nothing I, I say is going to make any bit of difference. And I'm like, yes good for you taking the high road but part of me is ready for her to just like tell Audrey off yeah well I'm kind of like Cinder this is your moment like yes captive audience here she can't like walk away from you you still kind of have the high ground in this situation which you've never really had with them before so like this is your opportunity to really shut her down at least say your piece so you feel like you've gotten to say your piece even if it's not going to make a difference but Cinder was like I'm not going to bother and I like I mean I can I get it I just I wouldn't have (laughs) totally been like like, you're a better person than me because I would be like listen (laughs) yeah absolutely (sighs) what's funny is though like like what we just talked about she's a she's these different people combined because I feel like I feel like Scarlett would be like listen here 
I feel like Scarlett would immediately. And Scarlett's one of those people. I feel like she just has like a myriad of comebacks in her head. And when something happens, she just like opens her, she just like loads her pistol and starts firing one, one comeback after another. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) It's why I love her. I'm like, I want to be you, Scarlett. (laughs) But I feel like, I feel like Cress would either try to handle it diplomatically or just like shrink back into herself and not handle it at all. So Cinder is kind of a good balance of that because she does start to defend herself and then she corrects herself and and forces herself to handle this the way that, um, the way that a queen would. Yeah. I think also even like, I think that she handled that the way Kai in that scenario might've handled that too, where he would just kind of Emperor Kai. Yeah. Emperor Emperor Kaito. We, there's yeah. a big difference between like Emperor Kaito and Kai. <laughs> yes, there's a very big difference. Yeah, Emperor Kaito would have done exactly what Cinder did. Um, right, Kai would have been like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> and I would have loved to see it. <laughs> yes. So I do like the mention of the Grim Cinderella when Amory and his cronies show up. Cinder says, "If you tell him that my foot can be removed as easily as my finger." I will force you to gouge your own eyes out. And I'm oh, like, so this is like way more aggressive and violent physically than what we're used to getting from Cinder. Mm-hmm. So she definitely had her clapback moment, even though she didn't like use her words to defend herself by saying like, no, I loved PE. I would never have sacrificed her and things like that. Um, but I also love the subtle nod to the grim Cinderella where that's exactly what happened. I I also love it. I think it's good, too. She does finally get her moment, which is nice. (laughs) And well-deserved. Yeah. Yeah. So Amory and his cronies show up, and they're like, okay, time to go to the feast. So the queen has, like, these big plans for you. Uh, And that's pretty much it. I just – my main thing is I really, really love when when Cinder has her inner monologue, and she's like, I wouldn't give a first warning. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So that's where our chapter ends. What were your chapter titles for this one? So chapter titles are their song names, right? Yes. So we okay. because this this series does not have names for each chapter, we decided to name them ourselves and we use song titles to name them. Okay, I love that so much. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, yeah. I love it. And I think that's so much fun. And I also like, I'm a huge fan. Like, I do soundtracks in my head for books all the time and for scenes. So I was like, fully in soundtrack mode. (laughs) I do make a Spotify playlist for each book once we're done. And those can be found on the Prince Kai Fan Pod website. Um, So, yeah, if you feel like listening to all of the songs that we picked for each book, for each chapter, Um, there's 100% I do. (laughs) (laughs) There's four of them up there. And when we're done with winter in like a year and a half, it'll be up there. (laughs) Oh, that's like a dream come true. That's so exciting. Um, Okay, well, for chapter 49, I picked uh, the song Wear Me Out by Skylar Gray. I don't know if anyone knows. It was pretty big a while ago. It's not a super recent song. I'm not familiar with it, but I would love to hear your why you chose it. 
Well, it starts out and it's uh, the song starts out with um, smart ass little girl always on the run playing with fire and daddy's gun, which is cool because I mean, obviously like Cinder's got a gun in her hand because her like adopted father or whatever. And it was all so anyway, so it had like that kind of element, which is really cool too. And the whole vibe of the song is basically it's like a woman to another woman basically saying like you underestimate me, you think I'm too green, you think I'm too dumb. Um, and basically just saying this person just like wears her out. Like she's just so tired of like this person being like so just awful. Um, and it's it's kind of like a more serious song too. Like it felt more like a song you would hear in the background of like a scene that's happening in a dungeon. So just like the overall like tonality of the music and the lyrics and just like the fact that it's just wear me out and she's in a dungeon. She's so worn out at this point. Like she's just, she's done her best. and It's not turning out. I just like this is a very fitting song. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So I had two for this one. One of them doesn't really work very well, okay? <laughs> and I want to be very clear that I understand that. I just really like the song and the and I think the title works. Mm -hmm. So the first one is Cut You Off by Selena Gomez. I got nothing, guys. I just really like the title <laughs> for this chapter because Cinder, like, cuts off the conversation and takes control of yeah. her relationship with Audrey and Pearl. So that first one is really just because I like the song and I thought it fit name wise. Otherwise uh -huh. I got nothing, but uh, I have how you remind me by Nickelback and so that nice. one fits very well. Mm -hmm. So lyrics that I think are perfect. Um, it's not like you to say starry to say starry. Oh my gosh. It's not like you to say sorry. I was waiting on a different story. This time I'm mistaken for handing you a heart worth breaking. Oh. It is not like Audrey or Pearl to say sorry. And they no. don't. Not no. even a little bit. Um, and I love that this song represents like what it's like to put all of yourself into a relationship and get none of it back. Yeah. None of it whatsoever. Um, and I, I love some of the lines that fit, like living with me must have damn near killed you. This is how you remind me of what I really am. Um, and obviously not all of them work, right? But yeah. I'd really love the concept of like, in this moment, Pearl and Audrey are reminding Cinder that she is the person that Peony loved and respected. And yeah. in that moment, Peony would not want her to to be or say something to Pearl and Audrey. Yeah. Likewise, Audrey and Pearl think that they are 100% vindicated. And seeing Cinder in a cell reminds them of how much they hate her and despise her and how much they think she deserves this mistreatment. So I thought it worked for both situations of this scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's better I, than I totally the Selena agree. Gomez one. I just really thought the title was cool for that, and I, I totally get that. Otherwise, that. it doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was a. I was going through my like two thousands like punk playlist, like looking for some inspiration. Yes, and there were so many songs. I was like, these titles are perfect, but then the song was like really peppy, and I was like, these are not peppy. Yes. We are sometimes not it's this. like we'll find out in the next chapter with the song I chose. But sometimes it's like, man, these these lyrics work, but the like tone and vibe and beat of the song are not for like how harsh it is no. <laughs> that was my that was the hardest part was finding like the lyrics are on point the titles on point and the sound of the music is because just too many of them were like right because so you need that aesthetic you need all of it yes. to create the full aesthetic 
Exactly. It's the aesthetic. Yeah. (laughs) So what was your chapter quote for this one? Okay. So my chapter quote for 49 was on page 426 of my copy. And uh, it was, it would have made her a tyrant, but it also would have kept them alive, which is just such a good quote. Um, She's obviously talking about how she could have, you know, like taken over the minds of the people in the whatever the district she was in and could have maybe prevented so much chaos and bloodshed. But in doing so, it would have it would have been she would have been behaving like the tyrants do to control their minds. And it just made me think about this. um, There's this quote and I I hate that I never remember where it comes from, but I think about it all the time. It's that um, the end doesn't justify the means. The means become the end. And that's just basically saying whatever whatever um, means you feel are justified to use to get to whatever your desired result is, you've then created a world where you're saying that there's a situation in which those means are acceptable. So, so now you've basically, you've created a brand new problem, which is often worse than the initial problem. Um, and there's also some other quote about how, um, like the, the one thing that people are willing to trade their freedom for is, uh, the idea of security but it never actually turns out well in the end. And so I felt like that was just a really good reminder because all of the arguments that Lavana and like her people on her side are using is basically like, well, we're better off controlling them. We take care of them. And that's an argument I think people often use when when they're trying to control people. Like I'm doing it for their own good, but nothing is actually worth taking away somebody's freedom. And so I just, it was such a tiny little line, but I was like, ah, so potent. That's exactly right. Potent. What a great word choice. <laughs> um, <my> pretentious side. <laughs> no, I love it. I also think that like, I think it's a good reminder of why Cinder might fail in her attempt to succeed, but she would do it in a way that doesn't constitute failure because yeah. the choices that she made were for the better of her people even when the choices didn't benefit her people in the best way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So my quote was from page 40, 40, oh my gosh, I'm so bad at talking, I'm sorry. Page 427, <laughs> she tried to run, she tried to fight, and all she got for it was a spaceship full of friends who she'd now be taking down with her. Um, pretty much what we just talked about, uh, yeah. First of all, I love the spaceship full of friends thing because that may have been all she got from it. But these were her first friends ever and she's 16. OK, that is yeah. huge. That yes, is, is absolutely huge. Um, yeah, I remember this is off topic, but like I remember being in high school and having what I would consider acquaintances, people that I like sat with at lunch, but didn't really spend a lot of time with outside of school people that like maybe walked or rode the bus with me, but they never like asked me questions about my personal life. They were never there for me in like times of woe. Um, And then I remember being in junior college. That's where poor people go when they can't afford a four year (laughs) school. I had somebody, I had, I forget who it was, but I had somebody message me and they were like, what do you mean when you say junior college? It's a community college. And when you can't afford to go to a four year school, you go there first. Yes, Um, you do. I did the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I remember when I was in junior college, I actually made that group of friends and we did everything together and we were there for each other no matter what. And it was like, 
you never had to worry about like being lonely. You never had to worry mm-hmm. about like not having something to do or not having someone to hang out with because that was like just assumed that you would spend your time together. And yeah. so I realized this isn't the exact same thing, but I was just, I understand the importance of having friends. Yeah. And it's real also true that, genuine like, friends. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the found family trope too. Like they're definitely not just, it's that thing where, these friends in a book come together at a time where they're all like the biggest crisis that their lives could possibly hold for them. And they're all really young and they all don't really have like reliable family. And so they all become a family. So they're not just friends. It's the found family thing, which is so powerful. That's why completely off topic six of crows is so everything that it is is because it's found family trope is just insanely strong. Um, And that's what this is. So it's awful because she's in that cell with her quote unquote family who are horrible. And she's thinking about how she's bringing down her friends who are really far more of a family to her and have been since they all got together and who we can see that they've all impacted each other just based on the choices she's made in this one little scene. And it is a pretty short chapter, like, but you can already see how much impact she's had. And that's just the weight and the responsibility she feels for them and how their futures are gonna turn out because of this. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof. Not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Because she tried to run, because she tried to fight, is um, just so indicative of how deeply she feels for them and like the kind of bonds that they have. And it's it's amazing. (laughs) So nice. I agree. And I think it's so great that we have this concept, this trope, as, as you said, in literature now, because for the longest time, I feel like society I guess as a whole was like beating down the concept of like blood is thicker than water and I still hear that sometimes I do too Um, and I I feel like we're getting more and more accepting of the like concept that found family is the family that's actually um, important and if you're going to forgive and forget if you're going to give people second chances if you're going to wear your heart on your sleeve it should be with your found family not yeah. a family that doesn't like love you or honor you or respect you in any way. Absolutely. There's also that everything we say, you can't pick your family. You pick your friends, yeah. but you can't pick your family. And I'm like, I, I feel like you can pick your family. Like obviously don't like gratuitously cut off family connections, but like there are so many families where the relationships are so much more detrimental than they are positive. And it's okay to not consider those people your family, even if you're related to them. Like you can make your own family. That's what's so inspiring about this trope is even when you feel lonely, when you read this stuff, it's like, I could build my own family of people who genuinely care about me, not just the people that I got stuck with by the roll of the dice. And I think that there's a misconception, at least from from the younger people that I know, I think there's a misconception that you're like stuck with your family until you get married and have a family of your own. And I don't think that that's true. Well, okay, I've been with my husband for like a decade. So (laughs) obviously, I do feel like his family is my family and my family is his family. Like my sisters were in junior high when we met and they call him their brother because they don't know anything different, right? Yeah. But I do think that there's something to be said about the concept of like, 
finding a family that's in the middle of that, you know, that's, that's why there are so many TV shows that are successful about people that do nothing but hang out with their friends when they're in their twenties. Yeah. That was my college when you're in your twenties. Yeah. That's what I did in college. I was totally like a found family and we, there was like a bunch of girls and we all lived together. And then the guys lived a couple floors below and we would literally just like, like friends, we would go like up and down and just like go hang in one room or the other room. And I I had two of my like closest friends lived across the hall. Now, to be fair, I got me apartment first. (laughs) I was in the building first. And when an apartment opened up, my landlord was like, do you know anybody? And I was like, hell yes, I do. Nice. But it meant that like the people that lived in the apartment building with me were my friends. And that was beautiful. It was wonderful. Yeah. And I know um, my husband, he's in the military. And so um, like a lot of, oh, really? What branch? He's Air Force. Oh, my husband's army. He'd so tease him for that. But that's adorable. Oh, but, yeah. But, but so Quentin you know would how tease it your husband, too. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, that's the way it goes. Exactly. But, but I'm sure that you totally get it then. Because, like, I, do. I have never seen the found family happen so effectively and so permanently in real life as it does with military friends. Like, our and military so friends are – so it's immediate and it's permanent. <laughs> like, it is unshakable. Yes. It's crazy. Like, they could meet a guy, like, a week on some training or whatever, and then, like, they're together for life. If anyone needs anything at the drop of a hat, like, one of them will run to be there for them. It is amazing. It's fantastic. And I think it's because a lot like the characters in this book, they're under a lot of very intense pressure, like a different type of pressure than we typically have in everyday life. I think that's probably what builds in the permanence. So I think that's kind of what Cinder's feeling here. I was going to say, we have a a similar but opposite in terms of the military because we have been moved around a lot. So it's hard for us to um, make anything other than acquaintances. Uh But the few people that we have been able to like actually emotionally bond with and connect to, we do still keep in contact with them. We visit them. We talk to them. Like we are very involved in each other's lives. Um, And I would say that the military teaches you, not that this is something I like hold over people's heads by any means, but the military teaches you the people that really care about you. They do. Because when you leave and they never contact you again, it's Mm -hmm. pretty obvious that that friendship was um, temporary, which is fine. It's okay if friendships are temporary. Yeah. I mean, mean, even if they they serve, not necessarily serve a purpose, but like, you know, it's okay to love and lose or whatever. Yeah. I mean, in different periods of your life, different friends will be closer to you and more distant in other periods. And that's not, it's just the way life is. It's not really a good or bad thing. I just think that there's more permanence to military friendships because they have to be built on something extremely solid. And like you said, like you definitely know who's actually there for you. Yeah, You guys move a lot. And then um, my husband has been deployed so many times and he's always away. Like he he is essentially full-time. He's always gone on orders. So you definitely know who makes an effort to keep in touch with you and to keep in contact. And see how you're doing and make sure that you're okay. And yeah, yeah. I mean, like sometimes it's like people that you actually don't spend a lot of physical time with. Oh yeah, I don't. We don't see them There are like, outside of my family, there are four people that I would say are like the people I love most in the world. I do consider Quentin my family. So nobody say that I don't love Quentin the most. (laughs) But um I would say, and two of them 
I met, I have only physically been in person with them three times. We met at the North Texas Teen Book Festival. We met like really early in the morning and ended up literally spending the entire day and night together. Oh yeah. And then we have seen each other twice since then. And they are like two of the people that I love the most in the world, two of the people that I'm like emotionally closest in the world to. Like they just sent Uh me a care package the other day because I've been Uh having a lot of health issues. Mm -hmm. And that was really super duper nice of them. It made me cry. That's so nice. But I don't spend a lot of like physical time in the same space as them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for like Ashley, my former co-host. She's military and she got stationed in Colorado and my husband got stationed in Vegas. And we still text each other almost on a daily basis. And sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes like literally she texted me today. I'll I'll read it to you guys. This is what she texted me today. And I responded. And that's probably all we're going to say to each other for the next like three or four days. But she texted me, um, I'm scrolling up. <laughs> Good morning. I wanted to let you know that you're beautiful. Did you know that? Also have an awesome day because you're just as awesome as the day you're going to have. Okay, love ya. That's all she texted uh, me, but it's like, that's like friendship at its finest is when like all you have to do is, is be like, hey, I don't really know what's happening, but you, this is a reminder that you're super cool and you're super loved and it's all going to be Okay. Um, and yeah. this is someone I haven't, again, physically, I haven't been in the same space with her in like a year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think my two of my closest friends, one of them, I've only seen her in person once ever. And then the other one, they're another army family. And I think I see we see them like maybe a handful of times throughout the entire year. And then, then we have other cl- really close friends who we consider family too, who we probably see even less than that. Like We don't see them very often, but we talk and we keep in touch. And if anyone needs anything, we're there as fast as we can. So it's, right. just, it's nice. It's like this support system that's like, because it's chosen, it feels more solid than your family because it's just there by default. <laughs> There's no just obligatory yes. um, yeah. element to it. Exactly. They're there in your life because yeah. they chose to be in your life, which is just so nice. Such a wonderful feeling. And even if you and don't I see them very often. And I think that, like, we're about to talk about Chapter 50. And I think that part of Cinder is able to be this brave and this confident and sure of herself because of that found family, because of finally feeling loved and accepted and appreciated and more than anything respected. Yeah, I so, I totally agree. I think friends can absolutely change your life and give you so much confidence and make you into so much more the person that you were meant to be. A hundred percent. They can change you if you let them. Yep, <laughs> Absolutely. These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise. And I'm Priscilla. And we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your show. So I'm going to, we're going to talk about chapter 50, which chapter 50 is drama. Yes, it is. (laughs) That's all this is. So quick, quick recap of what happens in chapter 50. Cinder is sad, but determined. Kai is sad (laughs) and confused, but determined. Pearl and Audrey Audrey have no self-respect whatsoever. And then we're about to start Cinder's trial. That is the equivalent of this in whole chapter. 
Oh, and Lavana yeah. is of course Lavana. She's she's she is on cloud nine right now. Okay, she's pretty sure Winter oh is God. dead. Jason is gone and out of her and out of her hair. She doesn't have to deal with him anymore. She's married. She's about to become the empress of the Commonwealth. And Cinder is like here on a platter for her to just torment, torture, and murder. Yep. yep. She's having a great day. It's everything is coming up, Lavana. Oh my goodness. Oh man, I should have done that song. Oh well, I was gonna say I should have done "Everything's Coming Up Roses," which is a show tune. But oh well, we have beautiful imagery here, of course. Again, always with Marissa, and I, I'm gonna put another request for fan art. I really want this lunar insignia depicting the capital city of Artemisia, and in the distance, Earth. So you know, whoever's bored and has some creativity, they just wanna. So these are the soldiers that Winter wants, Winter and Scarlet are about to recruit. These grotesque, beastly wolf mutants that are so dehumanized, they cannot be controlled even by a thaumaturge, mm-hmm. let alone Levana or, or um, I don't want to say a simpleton, but someone as inexperienced as Cinder. Um, <laughs> <A> simpleton. <laughs> Right. I don't want to say like a simpleton because I feel like that's insulting, but Cinder is an kind inexperienced of inexperienced. Yeah. yeah. Wolf had told her that these soldiers would be different, erratic and feral, craving nothing but violence and blood. A powerful lunar like the queen could trick them into perceiving a glamour, but that was it. Even the thaumaturges couldn't control their minds or bodies, but instead had to train the soldiers like dogs. Misbehave? And they were punished with pain. Do well, and they were rewarded. Only the rewards Wolf had talked about didn't strike Cinder as all that appetizing. And then it talks about like how one of their rewards was Earth because they got to go and be yeah. as bloody and violent as they wanted. Oh, way back in Cinder in Book One, Kai and the other le- leaders of Earth saw satellite footage of a group of soldiers that looked like mute that looked beastly mm-hmm. standing on the moon with as kai said nothing better to do but have their picture taken <laughs> and i i love that we finally get a really really we've gotten minor uh depict like descriptions of them before mostly that they're like scary but mm-hmm. i feel like what cinder is describing isn't necessarily what they look like she's yeah. describing their their minor yeah <laughs> Their energy, she's describing their mindset, how their what their motivations are as individuals and how the mutations have not only altered what they look like, it's altered what their personality is. It's altered what it alters what they crave in life. It alters what they seek in life. It alters Mm -hmm. what they find joy in and what they find frustration in and what kind of control they have or what kind of control they don't have. Yeah. And I just thought that was really interesting because Marissa could have taken this as an opportunity to do another depiction of what they look like, which so far is pretty much all we've gotten is this is what they look like. And also they're, they're, you know, bloodthirsty, but I feel like this just gives us such a better insight into it. Yeah, I agree. I definitely, after like her like initial like reaction and description of them was like, okay, so winter is crazy. Like, which I know, but like, she was just like, we're going to get them to help us. And after this moment with Cinder, I was like, no, you're not. (laughs) I don't 
what what are you planning? What do you think is going to happen here? So now, like, I had kind of had a little bit of faith before in Winter's Plan. I was like, she's going to kind of come out of the woodwork and save the day, be our dark horse. Um, now I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. So I don't know where we're going from here. I'm terrified of these things. I know. And I'm back on page 389. Thorne was like, are you kidding me? Like, right? Like, yeah. Winter talks about how they're just going to go underground and get their own army. And Thorne says, her soldiers? You mean her mutant wolf soldiers? Are you insane? Because that is kind of a, that is kind of um, erratic decision-making process. And, and we're spoiler-free, so we'll have to wait and see how that works out. But yeah. in this moment, it's definitely like, um, what? I'm like, what is she thinking? I mean, I'm hoping that, like, she knows something we don't know. But at this point, I'm like, I don't see this working out for you, Winter. But best of right? luck. Right? so cinder wants to know how unsturdy they are and she does try and she tries to creep into their mind and of course it does not work she cannot control them yeah (laughs) now here's something i want to talk about cinder is hungry she hasn't eaten in over a day and she barely had any food before that i don't know about you but i've had to go days without food for one reason or another and I can't do anything. I get dizzy. I get lightheaded. Even just walking around makes me feel like I can't um, accomplish anything. I get mm-hmm. headaches and I'll get nauseous sometimes. So, like, I'm curious oh, yeah. if this is just, like, Cinder's amazing or Cinder's if amazing. <laughs> maybe it's just, like, me and I'm, like, really sensitive no. to food or something. No, Cinder's amazing. I And I have really, my whole life I've said this and only, like, this year have my mom and my husband have both finally witnessed it for a fact. Like, I'm not making up. I think people thought I was being dramatic. I've always said when I get really hungry, I get violently ill. Like, I feel like I'm going yes. to throw up. It's absolutely. I get nauseous and I'll get, like, a pounding headache. But I'll get, like, yeah. very nauseous. Like, if nothing else, I'll dry heave. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It is awful. And I thought I was the only one These people were like, yeah, whatever, that doesn't happen. And so then I'm also kind of just like, not a nice person to be around. I'm very upset because I feel like I'm on the edge of throwing up the whole time. So because I feel violently ill, I'm not exactly cheerful. And I snap at people because I'm just like having the worst time ever. So yeah, no, Cinder is, she's superhuman here that she's like still keeping it together. Also, I feel like after a whole day of not eating, basically, I would be I'd be dizzy too. I used to get pretty dizzy when I wouldn't eat, um, which luckily doesn't happen anymore. Just the violent illness. But Cinder just like, she holds up. Like, I think she gets a little like, like faint headed a little bit, but for the most part, she just champions through this. Yeah. And I do think part of it, um, I think part of it is the way that she's been living the last few months has sort of I don't know, prepared her for this moment. Like, yeah, it, it's hardened her to it Because they've been living off of, like, the scraps that they found on the, the Rampion and then the scraps mm-hmm. that they found at Maha's. Like, she hasn't had a decent meal since leaving New Beijing. Yeah. So I feel like this is... That's true. I mean, I did I that intermittent she's, fasting she's been for a given, while. Yeah, I've done intermittent fasting. And once you get used to it, it's not too bad. Yeah, I was but I tell you what, those first but... few days... It's awful. Ooh. And then I would still be it's really grouchy, rough. but I wouldn't feel like I was going to throw up. So, I mean, slight improvement, but at the cost of anyone wanting to be around me for any amount of time. 
I got very, um, I don't know if addicted is the right word, but I, I leaned on sparkling water a lot. The fizzy <gasps> helped for some reason. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Same. I was never into sparkling water before and ever, I don't intermittent right? fast and anymore. It's the plain so it's kind of like, eh. But for some reason, it works. It helps. kind of feels like you're a little bit more full. It kind of fills you up. Right. I think it's the fizzy, and I don't fully understand the science behind it, but I know it works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess real quick, we'll mention that there's no rail over the edge. Just a reminder, because we did learn that in Ferris. Um, so if you if you go over, it's just a straight drop into the lake. It's awesome. <laughs> Very dramatic. <laughs> Lavana yeah, is nothing if Lavana is definitely like the definition of a drama queen. Oh yeah. But we get a reminder also that the queen's glamour doesn't fully work on Cinder's brain. It sort of flickers back and forth. I also love, and this is why my song choice is what it is. We'll get to that in a minute. But I also love the like ridiculous fashion of the lunars and how like how like Cinder can kind of sort of see that some of it's not real, but she doesn't know exactly what is. Yeah. Um, and then so like we come in cinematically, we come in, we see these wolf mutant soldiers, we see Lavana, we see the ridiculous aristocrats, and then like a beacon from the heavens, there's Kai. Kai. But instead of this being a cute moment of, like, sending love hearts across the room, Kai is like, WTF, is my girlfriend doing here? Yep. I did like, not invite my girlfriend water. to my wedding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Lavana's like, I did my sweet a gift for you. It's oh, she's yes. so twisted. Like she could have done this and didn't have to do it in front of Kai. Like she's just so twisted. But it's entertaining for her to do it in front of Kai because she knows she knows that Kai is emotionally attached to her. So yeah. she knows, like, okay, well, I'm gonna make sure for once and all once and for all that you understand that this girl really is gone. I am tired of her magically escaping. I am tired (laughs) of her like being a phantom on the wind with no body. I'm tired of people being like, what if the princess survived? No, I'm done with that. I'm going to prove to everybody on live television that Mm -hmm. this girl is dead. Yep. A (laughs) hundred percent. Including to my husband. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One quick question. Where do they get all of this food? I don't know. It talks about, like, having fresh seafood. And I'm like, okay, I've heard of, like, lab-created meat. We're not there yet, but I know people are trying to get there. So, like, okay, I can believe that, like, 600 years in the future, maybe they've done that. But Mm -hmm. seafood? Like, she's got, like, shrimp and stuff. Yeah, like, there's agriculture sectors, but, like, that's not the same as, like, a seafood, like a fishery or something. I don't know. Right. very weird. I don't know, maybe she had it flown all the way from Earth because she's that luxurious. I don't know. I don't I I but they would they've only just opened up trade and communications with Earth recently. Yeah, I feel like and I feel like if she was having like delicacies brought in from Earth for the wedding, I feel like that would have been mentioned because it was such a right. deal to get the Earth and leaders there. So right. And such a deal that she wants the earth and resources. So we, yeah. we would have gotten a paragraph about like, see, these are the resources I wanted and here's why I wanted them. And mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe so it's like think, boring food and she glamored it to look like that. <laughs> oh God. I don't know. It could be. Um, I, I'm going to say like logistically, the only thing I can think of is that it's lab 
lab created me, which I know is a thing. I know they're working on it. So I could, I'll give them that hundreds of years into the future, they probably have that. I swear, every time I read any kind of dystopic novel that takes place in the future, all of their food is different. It's always some kind of like freezer dried reheatable meal. You know, mm-hmm. those meals that, like, don't expire that people, like, who live yeah. in bunkers eat or, yeah. like, protein bars or something. Like, that's always yeah. the way that they feed themselves. They never have real food anymore. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's upsetting. I'm like, please don't be the future. <laughs> I don't want to eat any french fries. Is that a thing? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I want to mention, just, like, a really small detail that I think is very important. The servants are kneeling and holding the trays above their heads. Mm-hmm. And Lavana does not care. Now, the obviously, Lavana doesn't care. Okay. The only reason I'm mentioning this is because when we read Ferrist, there was an entire, like, two paragraphs about how Lavana felt bad for the servants, how she thought they must have been absolutely exhausted, and how it was unnecessarily cruel and vindictive of Channery to force them to hold the trays of food over their head. Mm-hmm. So this is how far Lavana has come in 20 years, 15 yeah, years. I, yeah, I don't know the timeline, but yeah, that's horrifying that somebody could change so much. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Um, so all the earthen leaders are present. Kai is there. Cinder looks around for a minute, hopeful, but Wolf is not there. We still don't know what happens. I do love that Amory is still injured and he's trying to hide it. It very much reminds me of when... Uh, Sybil was injured and she was trying to hide it. And first I can't express first, to you how happy I was when he was injured. I was like, thank you. Oh, I know. Let's part of me was injured. like, yes, get him. And then part of me was like, Scarlett, I thought you were a better shot than that. <laughs> I know. I know. But at least he's hurting. So let's talk about Audrey. Audrey is on trial for a device that her husband invented. And that's the device that Cinder and Scarlett's grandmother, Michelle Benoit, had that blocks the lunar gift. They Mm -hmm. found paperwork for Garen's invention in the storage unit. And Amory calls the chip a weapon, which I think is very, that's a very important distinction. Mm -hmm. To him, the lack of ability to use the lunar gift or to have the lunar gift used on you is a weapon. Yep. This is straight propaganda. This is legitimate 100%. propaganda. 100%. Yeah. Which also is a reminder. We talked, to, I, I mentioned it a few chapters ago that I think they rely more on their gifts than their senses. And I think that that's a big flaw of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it also remind, like, it makes me think of that, the concept that that is a crutch for them. It's a power that they have. It's an advantage that they have, but it's also a crutch and they use it very, very much so. Yeah. So so they feel threatened if they can't. Right. Yeah. So I love Emperor Kai. Remember we talked about Emperor Kai and how amazing he is. Torin would be so (laughs) proud. Levana is like, you're on trial. What you did was wrong. I don't really care that you say your husband didn't know about this. I assume you did. So I'm done with it. And Mm -hmm. Kai is not having it. Kai jumps up. You can't destroy evidence and then try to use it to condemn somebody. You can't expect us to believe you found this box (laughs) of paperwork during an illegal search, mind you. And it held the patents for a lunar targeted weapon and that Lynn Audrey had some working knowledge of it. That is a lot of speculation. 
On top of that, you violated a number of articles in the interplanetary agreement when you apprehended an Earthen citizen without due cause and invaded private property. Lavana cupped her chin with one hand. Why don't we argue about this later, darling? Oh, you want to argue later? Would that be before or after you've killed an innocent Earthen? Lavana shrugged. That remains to be seen. Kai sneered. You can't... He abruptly cut off, forced to hold his tongue. Love, love it. That. And then she silences him. She uses mm-hmm. her gift to, like, zip his mouth, basically. Yeah. But I loved defense attorney Kai. I was like, yes, please, Kai. Oh, I yes. I'm like, Torrin would be so <laughs> proud of you, boy. <laughs> so good. Yeah, love it. I also 1000% agree, though. Like, you cannot just be like, I found this stuff and you're on trial. Like, I'm not to be like too, uh, not to like take sides. Please don't at me. But like, didn't we just <laughs> learn that with like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? They can't just be like, this happened. And people will be like yeah. taking your word for it. Like, yeah. you need evidence. It's almost like this is part of what's wrong with our justice system. I don't know. <laughs> it's almost like this is a reflection of that. <laughs> Right? It's almost like a direct parallel, Marissa. I wonder if that was intentional. I know. I think that might be intentional. There are flaws in every judiciary system. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lavana says, all right, you know what? I will give you clemency, but you have to swear fealty to me and not to that cyborg bitch over there. And (laughs) Audrey is quick to, like, drop to her knees. She kisses Lavana's hand, like, Pearl does it too. There is no self-respect, okay? I was like, listen, I'm way too arrogant. (laughs) Because, like, I don't want to die either. And in this scenario, I would probably also be like, yeah, what do you need me to do? But we don't like them, so they have no self-respect. And I am judging them. (laughs) I mean, I think even if I didn't like Cinder, which I can't imagine because she's wonderful. I have a really hard time relating to people who are, like, not, like, pro the rebellion pro the uprising in fiction because I'm like always like hooray for the uprising the brown coats which is a firefly thing I'm all for that but even so like I make this joke a lot on that pretentious book club I am so insufferably arrogant about some things I feel like I'd be like absolutely not I will not kiss your hand you can kill me right here and now for it no other me of when they tried to get Scarlet to do it and she refused and they cut her finger off Ooh. Yeah, I'd probably lose a finger or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's because you're Scarlet. That's your, <laughs> that's your um, alter ego. Is your like you, yeah, you your she's fiery my role model. <laughs> yes. Oh, so that God. is where we um, end the chapter. Everybody claps, and then we find out that up next is Cinder's trial, oh. um, which will take place in the next episode. So, what was your song choice for this one? Okay, my song choice for this one was It Ends Tonight by the All-American Rejects. And I had a really, really hard time finding a song for this chapter because it's like the chapter right before, like, the big chapter, like, right before Cinder's trial. And so I was like, okay, it can't be, like, the big song. Like, I found a bunch of songs that would be really good for Cinder's chapter. But this one is, like, more about, like, her just entering, like, the room or whatever and seeing the the wolf soldiers and and the Audrey and, and Pearl's trial. Um, and so I picked this one because I feel like its vibe is still a little slower. So like music wise, like it's not like a climactic song, which I think Mm -hmm. is good because then it would take away from the next chapter. I'm just thinking in like soundtrack mode, but, um, 
it basically, it starts out, um, your subtleties, they strangle me. I can't explain myself well and all the wants and all the needs, all I don't want to need at all. Um, the walls start breeding, my mind's unweaving. Maybe it's best you leave me alone. Um, this is basically, she's very, Cinder's very detached in this chapter. She's kind of like, I'm just choosing not to care. Like about Audrey Spade, she's just like literally says, like, I'm just choosing not to feel about this. And she's really, she's very trapped in this moment, very strangled in this moment. She can't explain herself. Audrey can't even explain herself. Not that she has anything worth explaining. Anyways, this whole scene is just so stifled because it's completely controlled by Lavana. And it's kind of like the beginning of the end is kind of the feeling of this chapter because we're, you know, approaching Lavana's great plan to execute Cinder. So that's why I picked It Ends Tonight. That's a great choice. So I picked Chained to the Rhythm. It's a song by Katy Perry. But I really like the cover by Rebecca Black and Alex Goot and Kurt Hugo Schneider. In case you're wondering, yes, that is the same Rebecca Black. I adore her. She has <laughs> improved her voice immensely, and I love her covers. She has a in sync one, Bye Bye Bye, that's really good. <gasps> Heck yes. Yeah, you, you can YouTube that as soon as we're done. <laughs> I will. I love covers. So I love this song, but I especially love it for the lunars in this chapter. The lunars who showed up to a wedding and a feast and are watching servants with their trays above their heads and their people shoes. who are on trial and might get murdered or might lose a finger or might lose an arm. And they are just like here for the party. Yep. So... Uh, are we crazy living our lives through a lens trapped in our white picket fence like ornaments? So comfortable we're living in a bubble, so comfortable we cannot see the trouble. Are we lonely in utopia where nothing will ever be enough, happily numb? These Ooh. people live in the perfect utopia because they are treated to life at the palace of mm -hmm. all places. Yeah. They have this incredible life. They are living a world of luxury and they couldn't care less about the people starving or being abused or being manipulated. They couldn't care less about the earthens that are being uh, attacked on earth or the ones that are in Artemisia right now or the ones that are in the cells. All they care about is their life of luxury. And because they get to have that life of luxury, they don't have to worry about anything else that happens. That's why they don't have to care about it. It is one of their biggest luxuries is that they get to enjoy their utopia at the cost of others and never worry about the cost of, of others that are doing it. Um, so I just, I love this song. And I think some of the, really, you guys, you know, every time I get a really good song, I'm like, all of the words work. <laughs> but I love put your rose colored glasses on and party on. Ooh, Dance to the distortion, stumbling around like a wasted zombie. We think we're so free, good. but we're all chained to the rhythm. Love it. And then, of course, the ending, which brings us back to the uh, concept of a revolution, right? Yeah. It is my desire. Break down the walls to connect, inspire. High up in your high place, liars. Time is ticking for the empire. The truth they feed is feeble. And so many times before, the greed of all the people, they're stumbling and fumbling, and we're about to riot. They woke up the lions. So the beginning of the song is all about these people living in their luxury towers, living in their incredible lives, 
getting to do whatever they want, partying the night away and never worrying about the people they stepped on to get there. And the end is the people they stepped on to get there rising above and saying, you've stepped on us one too many times. Oh, and I, I feel like that's that. perfect for what, so what is happening. Yeah, it's also totally like capitalizing. Yeah, most of the time my lyrics are like a little flimsy at best. Every once in a while I'll get like one or two sentences that really work. But when I find a song that like perfectly encapsulates like what is happening basically in this whole revolution of the Lunars versus the aristocracy, I just, I get so caught up. I'm like, every word works. I love that so much. That's kind of how I felt about Wear Me Out by Skylar Gray. I feel like that was like a lot yes, stronger lyric. I agree because also both of, again, both of mine were kind of, fl- especially Selena Gomez one, they were kind of flimsy. It's like they have a few words that work, but not yeah. everything fits to the, fits to the chapter. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so Patreon members will get to vote on chapter titles for that. Let's talk about your quote. Okay. Uh, so in chapter 50 on page 435, this was my favorite quote. To her right, enormous windows looked over a lake, bordered on each side by the curved wings of the white palace, like an enormous protective swan. I love this imagery. I love, I mean, I love all of the imagery in this chapter. For me, like, I don't care about Audrey and Pearl. They're, they're worthless. I don't like them. Um, but I was all about <laughs> all of the imagery in this chapter. I was like, I would, I read, I read the chapter twice for the imagery. I was like, I love this so much. I love like, like the kind of like drop off on like the, the landing or whatever by the lake. And I love, I just love, I look at like the lunar insignia with earth. And I love, um, I love like the idea of like looking out out over the lake and like the palace is so grand that like the lake doesn't end you can like you can't see the mm-hmm. end of it but it looks like I had no trouble picturing like the curved sides of this palace looking like the wings of a swan and it also just like it kind of like gives it that like sci-fi-ish kind of vibe like as far as like the architecture goes like I love a little like a little bit of like architecture detail here and there because it makes a huge difference like the architecture in a scene totally sets the scene but if you just talk about architecture it gets really boring and bland really fast looking at um the author of the hunchback of notre dame um but <laughs> so bland. but this was perfect we get it it's a cathedral <laughs> yeah, like, i get it notre dame amazing <laughs> i don't need three pages three pages is so small it is oh my god i can't i can't that don't recommend that book you guys <laughs> Don't. Um, also, not child friendly. There's nothing in that story that should have ever been turned into a children's movie. I don't know how anyone would ever pick that book to turn into a children's movie, which is a huge divergence. Anyways, to say I like the, the swan imagery. <laughs> I think it was good. I think that one of Marissa's biggest talents is imagery, but imagery that actually fits the context. It's not, it's poetic in the fact that it's imagery, right? But it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel obligatory. It feels like it perfectly suits what is happening. And I just, I love this concept that it's like a swan. Also because you guys, swans are like one of my favorite animals. It goes dogs. Actually, I'm sorry. If unicorns were real, right? It goes (laughs) unicorns, dogs, turtles, swans. That's my list of perfection in terms of animals. So I just love the concept that this place looks like a swan, which I think the reason I like swans is because they're like classy and elegant and they represent something that is classy and elegant and sophisticated. And how perfect is that for this incredibly luxurious tower? 
Yeah. And also in um, Irish folklore, swans are like hugely symbolic. So if you're into like Irish folklore and, and fantasy, swans are like play a huge part in that, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I like that concept. <laughs> I like that concept a lot. That's good. So mine's like kind of not as fun. Mine is from page 439. <laughs> she wanted to to not care. She wanted to feel nothing. Our girl has a heart of gold. These Pearl and Audrey have been horrible to her. And if she needed reminding of that, they gave it to her like 10 minutes ago. And she is still sympathetic to their plight. She is still sympathetic to their suffering. She is still sympathetic to what they have had to deal with. Um, And it really breaks my heart that this is you know, it's like we talked about in the last chapter, like she wanted to feel vindicated. She wanted to clap back at them, but it's not within her to have that response. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And I just like that reminder that, that Cinder's a good person. She is. She is. She's, she's worthy of she's these good. people following her. A hundred percent. Absolutely. So this week we had two Easter eggs. The bonus word hair appeared three times and the bonus word gloves appeared once. Next time we are going to cover chapters 51 and 52. I've had a few questions about this. So yes, the 150th episode is coming up. Yes, that's crazy. I can't believe we're at 150 episodes. And yes, I do have some a big elaborate surprise, surprise planned. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) I love that. So tell us a little bit more about your podcast and where people can find you if they would like to do so. Sure. So you can find That Pretentious Book Club really wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, We're also on Instagram and TikTok under That Pretentious Book Club. If you guys want to learn more about that, um, you can go to our website. It's our production company website, storysirenstudio.com. We've got a bunch of content about the website there. We have cool merch there. Um, You can email book recommendations to us at contact at storysirenstudio.com. And we even have a sister podcast for writers. So um, lots of cool stuff that you guys can check out. We are there. We always love chatting about books. So feel free to message us about books. But yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. We're on Patreon too. And there's like bonus episodes and video episodes there also. You're on Patreon? We are. We're on Patreon.
the numbers, but it doesn't make money. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I think we only have like three or four, honestly. And even if we had more, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. I think I have like 58 people or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have 59. So, but they're all a dollar. So, I mean, it covers um, Zencaster and Podbean almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I think yeah. I am uh, between Patreon and some ads that we've been running in the pod. I think I make back like one of <gasps> How our How did you get series. advertisements? Um, well, so I use Buzzsprout. And so oh. for my hosting, and they just started this new thing where other podcasts can like submit ads. And if you have a certain number of downloads per episode, then you can, they'll like basically like request to add their podcast ad to your episode. That and also, that's really um, cool. It is cool, but also podcorn.com, which is amazing. You can apply for like different like sponsorships and stuff. Like people just post like the advertisement that they're looking for somebody to like promote for them. And you can just put in an application. Like you can record yourself like, like do like a verbal application or you can like write in like, Hey, I think our podcast would be a great fit to promote your whatever. Um, and I use that a lot. Definitely going to look into that. It's very Um, easy, which is quite nice. (laughs) Yeah. I have, I have commercials, um, for other podcasts. So like myself and a lot of people, um, especially on the Facebook page that we have, um, we recorded like little, advertisements of our podcast and like we just circulate through so like I'll have a commercial for like YA book chat or I think this one um badass literature is uh scheduled to be on this episode and it's just like a 20 second clip of like here's our podcast here's why it's awesome here's where you can listen um but I like to think it helps if nothing else we're like showing support yeah are you on yeah I traded um I'm not on the Facebook page, no, but I would love to be. I've traded with um, Books and Betches, we traded, and then Book Club Babes, we traded. Um, we both traded trailers. And I think with I Books know and Betches, we like, did like a collab. Let there, them um, know. Two other, um, um, let them know. I started probably like a year ago now. I started a Facebook group for other podcasts about podcasts that are about like books and stuff. And we do all kinds of stuff. We share um we share commercials right but we also share like statistics or um information or or um like tips and and clues and not clues tips and like support and stuff we like help each other out if somebody cancels or they need a last minute guest like it's been really great to have um so that's so nice yeah let me figure out where I put the link and then I will send it to you and tell your tell your other book podcasty friends tell them they can join too I will I think they love that I'm a big proponent of like the more the merrier I feel like oh, the more absolutely. people you have involved, the better chances you have of getting. Um, yeah, I messaged like a bunch of people.
So that's it for today, guys. Thank you very much for being here. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Next time we are going to cover chapters 51 and 52. Sweet. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me be here. This was super fun. I'm so glad you had fun. You can come back anytime. And let me know if you ever need a guest, especially if you do Terza Price books. I'm down. Okay, fantastic. We love having guests, so we'll definitely connect with you. Yes, yes, anytime. Yay. Thank you for reading. Thank you for listening. And until next time, don't get glamored. Bye. The chapters discussed today are from Winter by Marissa Meyer. And the audio clips were from Rebecca Soler's performance of Winter, a Macmillan audiobook production. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. And today's special guest was the Pretentious Book Club podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo. And the logo art was created by Sunlit Tangles on Instagram. Thank you for listening. We got Verizon 5G home internet. It's from Verizon. Safe choice, right? Well, some things that look great end up being not so great. Like the time you bought a shrimp roll from a gas station. Uh, Or when you bought that used sports car. (laughs) What about when we got Billy that drum set? The point is, Verizon 5G home internet sounded great. But turned out to be something else. And we deserve fast, reliable internet. We deserve Xfinity. It's time for better internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts.